Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Pot of Gold Extra Point is brought to you by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. And brought to you by Tire Rack, the way tire buying should be. This is the Pot of Gold Extra Point Notre Dame Boston College Edition. With Carter Carls, my name is Tom Noy. We're from the South Bend Tribune and the Insider, and we're joined on the phone by Dan Rubin from bceagles.com. Dan, what's happening out in Boston today? Hey, we got a we got a little bit of rain. We got 50 degrees. I'm pretty sure this is the weather you guys just had and uh <laughs> getting ready, getting excited for for a weekend at Notre Dame Boston College. Hey, well you 50 degrees in rain, but have you had 12 inches of snow already like we've had out here? <laughs> Not yet. We've we've had like the ice and the frost. We haven't had that. I'm looking forward to that cuz that's when you know uh you know it's winter and all that. I'm still holding out though. As much as humanly possible. Look, that look, last minute. Looking forward to a good nor'easter, right? A nor'easter. We gotta get that <laughs> right. Gotta, gotta pronounce it. Correctly. I don't have the Boston accent. I can't say that. <laughs> hey, hard to believe that when BC comes to town later this afternoon, this is their first trip out to Notre Dame Stadium since 2011. How does that happen? Yeah, I I wish they knew it was the um, you know they don't play every year, which is which is a bummer. Um, I I love this rivalry. I know personally, a lot of people love this rivalry out here. Uh, so it's been it's been a while. I know there was that home game for Notre Dame in 2015. That was the 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 Shamrock Series game that moved that into Boston uh, to play at Fenway uh, Fenway Park. So it's been a it's been a while, and you know nothing beats if you're a Boston College fan. Nothing brings up the the rivalry. Nothing feels better than finally getting able to to maybe go out and 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 shock shock college football when you get that opportunity to go out to Notre Dame Stadium because it's such a historic place and such a place that you know carries so much tradition and history and for us too at Boston College. Notre Dame fans the, they look at their quote rivals as USC as Navy every once in a while Michigan. What makes this rivalry special from a Boston College point of view? Um, I'll, I'll echo what, what Steve Adazio said this week in his weekly press conference, which is you have two schools that, that are really committed to a lot of the same core values. Catholic education, for one, these are the only two uh, FBS schools, the power schools that are Catholic, that are, that are under the auspices of a Catholic church. Um, the pillars and the core values of service and academic excellence while committing uh, to athletic competition at the highest level. I think that when you take those two teams and you put them together, there's going to be a, a natural respect and in, in competition at the institution level. From a football standpoint, you know, Boston College has always been a little bit of the little brother to Notre Dame. I don't think it's 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 unfair to everyone at home uh, to say that. And, and, and to come out and compete against Notre Dame and get those victories uh, that they've had in the past, the way that they've won some of those games – always feels special when you think about 93 when you think about 2002 when you think about the fact that bc at one point had a six game win streak uh through the 2000s it is something that is a great source of pride because also 
you know, you have those those two institutions in Notre Dame being the fighting Irish and Boston College in Boston having that Irish tradition in the city. It, it creates a, almost a natural geographic rivalry, even though Notre Dame isn't based in New England. Dan, would you say this is, you know, when this game's on the schedule for Boston College, this is the one that they're looking forward to? Like, does it rank right up there at number one for them in terms of, of that game they're looking forward to? Oh, yeah. If it's not number one, it's in the top two. Um, on an annual basis, the, the annual Boston College rival within the ACC is, in, in football is Syracuse. So that goes back to the Big East. It goes back to the, the independent days. It's a team other than maybe Holy Cross that BC has played the most uh, throughout their history. And, and Holy Cross now being a one double A team or FCS team um, is a little bit. I mean, they've only played once since the Patriot League became eligible to play an FBS team. From a Notre Dame standpoint, from from looking at Notre Dame, uh, it's right in there because, uh, again, when you look back at the history, even though it's relatively new, right, it only goes back to the 1990s, the early 90s. Everything about that that happened in those first few years made it an appointment television in Boston. The 92 game when Lou Holtz executed that fake punt, they filmed Rudy at halftime. It was you know the blowout game. It was something that carried over to 93. And in 93, being able to go out and, and essentially cost Notre Dame the national championship on David Gordon's 40-yard field goal, 41-yard field goal, uh, that made it. In, in Boston College's eyes, the game. And you come out in 94 against a very good Notre Dame team and, and run them off uh, the alumni stadium field with a 30-11 to 11 win, I, I think it was, or a 20-point win or, or whatever that wound up being. Uh, it was, it, at that point, it was cemented. Now, through the years, it, it was always the game when you played annually that you looked at on the schedule. It was always close to the end of the year for the most part. And and it was it was appointment television, like I said. The the fact that they don't play every year anymore means that there are other teams that you have to look at on an every year basis and say, you know, that's the team we have to beat every year. That's the team that we got to bring back the hate, the, the right kind of hate. But when you get Notre Dame on the schedule, there is still something about it that echoes you know, the guys who you recruit from the Midwest. The fact they grew up with guys who say, I'm rooting for you, but I'm not rooting for Boston College. For me, a guy who grew up in Boston, the fact I grew up with, with people who, who wore blue and gold every year. Uh, my my high school fight song at a Catholic school was the Notre Dame fight song. Though it wasn't a whole lot I could do to escape it. Uh, they were it was it was always something that you wanted to look forward to. So even though it's not every year, from a Boston College standpoint, you see Notre Dame on the schedule, and you're not really saying it in week one or week two, but there's always that little something that says the minute that week arrives that says okay, Holy War's here. Let, let's get down to business. You're listening to the Pot of Gold Extra Point presented by Zaxby's. Let's take a short break. We know you like football, so do we. We're TireRack.com, and this is our version of a two-minute drill, except it's only 30 seconds. TireRack.com has an enormous selection of tires. Not sure which ones to buy? Use our tire decision guide to find the right tires for your vehicle and the way you drive. Then get them shipped fast and free on all orders over $50. Shipping is in as little as one day, free. TireRack.com ships to independent, recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Touchdown! Back on the Pot of Gold, talking Notre Dame, talking Boston College with Dan Rubin of bceagles.com. Boston College comes to South Bend 5-5, five and five, one more win, and they become bowl eligible. The Eagles have been idle since losing at home to Florida State 38-31 a couple weeks ago. What matchup are you looking at Saturday that says if, no, if, if Boston College can do this, they've got a chance to, to, to beat Notre Dame? 
I think it starts uh, at the running back position, and and sometimes sometimes the matchup really is as obvious as it looks. Um, Boston College's running game has been has been electric this year. I, I don't think you look at uh, the the Eagles' offense and, and think anything otherwise because of, of what they have. Which I always like to joke: the only thing better than having one two hundred and fifty pound running back with downhill speed is having two, uh, <laughs> and they have two. Uh, AJ Dillon is the best running back Boston College has ever had. He's the all time leading rusher. He's approaching, if he can get 450 yards the remainder of the season, he's approaching the ACC's all-time record. Uh, he's he's the best running back Boston College has ever had, and and that's putting him in some elite company. When If you go back over history, the guys like Mike Cloud and, and Derek Knight and some of those other names that, that show up in the, the record books. So you have Dylan, and then you're adding David Bailey into the equation, who's a sophomore, uh, who's a guy that is a 240-pound back with breakaway speed. So... Bailey averages six yards a carry, over six yards a carry. He's got the ability to stop, pivot, head to a sideline, and turn up field. And and he's had a couple of big breakaway runs. Uh, and and when you have that ability to substitute one versus the other, you're always getting a fresh back in the backfield into the teeth of the defensive line. Now in the first half, that that can be a little frustrating to watch if you're a Boston College fan because you're seeing the team run into the teeth of the line on third down. They're maybe getting a first down. Some of that isn't necessarily getting the defense the defense is getting off the field in those situations but there's a cumulative toll over the course of the game when you get into the third quarter you get into the fourth quarter and the games that boston college has been able to win they've been able to pull off one of those 70 yard drives 12 or 13 plays seven minutes and and been able to to rock them and sock them through the line through the line of scrimmage and the point of attack and then break off a big run because you're always getting a fresh body in the one thing about that matchup is is kind of the asterisk, which was in the Florida State game. The and this goes on the other side. Uh, the Boston College defense was was not great and 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 has had its problems this year. But Bailey also got dinged up in that game. AJ Dillon wound up rushing forty times. Bailey is is, is going to be healthy. He's going to be fine to go. Uh, but you know, you always throw that in at the end because we haven't seen him on the field since he since he came out against Florida State. A.J. Dillon, career, 19 100-yard games. He gets off the bus carrying the football. Like he'll, he'll have six carries before Boston College even gets the football tomorrow. They, Boston College, has a rebuilt offensive line. How do you replace four starters off last year's team and still have such an effective run game the way they do? Oh, well, you, you have a little bit of luck, and you have a lot of bit of development. Um, you know, you're... When you look at this line, the, the guys who are on the offensive line, uh, you know, BC's always been a power offense. Mm-hmm. I think when you when you we're not going to talk about BC's passing game and think of the Big Twelve uh, by any stretch, <laughs> but uh, I mean it's 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 functional and it's good, but it's not. No one's going to look at it and say, "All right, they're going to throw for seven hundred five six hundred yards. They're going to they're going to run. They're going to you know they're committed to running the football." Um, this year was supposed to be the rebuilding year. Uh, they lost multi-year starters at, at tackle and at center. They lost the left guard, Chris Lindstrom, who went to the NFL, was a first-round pick. Aaron Montero surfaced on a couple of practice squads. Uh, and that has been – and that was supposed to be the end, right? That was supposed to be A.J. Dillon's going to be running behind a patchwork offensive line, a young offensive line. And instead, what's wound up hap- what wound up happening is that the guys who came in were just ready to go. They got uh, Zion Johnson, who was a transfer and was eligible. He's at left guard. He's been – He's been outstanding in, in pull blocks and in pancaking defensive linebackers. Alec Lindstrom, who's Chris's brother, is playing center. He's got quick snap ability. He's got explosiveness off the ball. And the guy who, is, who has really made an impact is Tyler Vrabel on the left tackle. 
Um, his dad is Mike Vrabel uh, from the New England Patriots, and now the head coach of the Tennessee, Tennessee. Titans. Yeah, he's got the uh, he's got the 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 um, the ability. He's got the size. He's got he's got everything. And this is a team that is no longer allowing sacks. They're they're simply plowing the road. And and when they get moving and, and everybody gets into their system and and they get into their tempo, which is an offense that goes no huddle and goes fast, but it's more of a tempo fast instead of a warp speed type of fast. Um, it really takes its toll on defenses, and that's part of the reason why then you factor in the two backs. Uh, you're able to just keep plowing the road and keep moving forward. Dan, Anthony Brown, the starting quarterback, went down early October, and and then they bring out this guy that used to be a walk-on, Dennis Grossell. Or what do you mean this guy? Like this some, guy, some guy off the street here no, to play quarterback? But, but my 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 thinking is is this offense the way it operates? Is it? I mean, it hasn't missed a step since their starting quarterback has gone down. Is it just as simple as hey, all the guys really asked to do? Is handed off and then maybe make a couple throws. Is 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 it just as simple as that? Is that why they haven't really missed a beat since Anthony Brown went down? I think so. In the beginning, um, I, I laugh because uh, De- Dennis Grossell would probably be the first person who would admit this. Uh, which is, anytime you look at your roster and you're saying, "Well, it makes for a nice story, right?" You got a, a walk-on quarterback who's worked his way up to a, an FBS Power Conference starter. Yeah, that's a great story, but you know, you're you you'd rather have in his eyes the or in everybody's eyes, you'd rather have the guy who's a five star, four star recruit who's got every raw and tangible known to man, uh, or raw measurable skill, I should say. Uh, Grossell is is a good quarterback. He's a he's a very smart quarterback. He knows what he can do. He knows what he can't do as well. And so in the beginning, it was maybe more of handing off to an effective running game. He was good against Louisville when uh, when they needed him to come in for Anthony Brown. He threw three touchdown passes, mostly using the tight end and rollouts. Um, was a good scrambler and, and was able to, to run some read option in there. But they didn't ask him to do something out of the ordinary. They were playing off of emotion. Against NC State, he only threw the ball 15 times. He wasn't overly effective, but they didn't need him to be. Um, as the season has worn on, he's become better. He ran into Clemson. Um, which it means he got buzzsawed because everyone gets buzzsawed against Clemson um, for the most part. Notre Dame so, knows that. Yeah, <laughs> everyone everyone knows what you're getting against Clemson. Uh, but then after that, he started to become more effective, and he started to learn, and he's always absorbed his mistakes and said, okay, I made a mistake. What did I do? Let me learn from it. So what started out as handoff, roll out to the tight end, is now let me throw to the wide receiver, let me look off, check down to a second receiver, let me go downfield. Let me see what I can do. And then if I got to pull the ball down and run with it because I don't think the play is there, yeah, I'm willing to take a hit. I mean, this is a guy who's still 220 pounds, and he's he's built well. He can he can scramble, and he's not afraid to take a hit. He's I call him a heart of a lion type player. He's he's a great kid. He's a smart kid, and and he's turned into a, a very effective Division One Power Conference quarterback, which. Maybe at the beginning of the year, if you were looking at the quarterback position, you said, all right, this isn't really deep at all. If Anthony Brown goes down, they're going to be in trouble, and that hasn't really been the case. Dan, you, you kind of look at the NFL now, and, and the, 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 I guess the emphasis is these all-purpose running backs. And you, know, you, you want your running back to be able to catch passes, run routes, things like that. Not a ton of guys like AJ Dillon out there. Maybe maybe you think a Derrick Henry or a Sony Michelle type, but where do you kind of see him fitting in the next level? Because he's been so productive, you think that maybe he can carve out some sort of role. 
but but you know, I know at a high school, some schools wanted him as a linebacker. I don't know if he he has thought about that as a potential switch down the road. But but what do you overall kind of make of what his future looks like beyond uh, college football? Uh, well, everyone's going to think of him as a as a runner because it's it's so stark how good of a power back he is. I mean, you're you're looking at a guy who who can run for two thousand yards, fifteen hundred yards. 15 touchdowns in in college and he's doing it you know with an offensive line and you look at the the possibilities of putting a guy with some speed into an offense and plowing forward i I think that was the similar thing to what the the new york giants saw when they took andre williams the difference between um a guy like andre williams and a guy like aj Dillon is that Dillon saw it at an early phase like i gotta i gotta develop more skills i gotta learn a pass block i gotta learn the to catch the football so he's made some receptions, and there have been times when, when BC has plugged Dylan and Bailey in the backfield together, and one has blocked for the other, which has been really fun to watch when that happens. <laughs> um, but he's, he's trying to become the, the, the NFL-type player. He understands that there's a, there's a very different uh, model that's, that's there, and so he needs to become a complete back. That said, if you're an NFL team and you've got an offensive line and everybody, the, the model has been to – to throw the ball all over the field, right? You, you you look at the Chiefs, you look at, you know, even the the, the best offenses that are out there. Uh, the Rams last year, they were, yeah, you have a good running back, but they've been, uh, the New Orleans Saints, they've been trying to move to a pass-happy offense. Everyone's been going to pass-happy offenses. If you're looking at it and saying, well, if we can control the clock and we have the team built to run the football, you know, Dylan becomes a, a tasty option for you. And and I think a guy like Dylan has a place somewhere in the NFL I do think there needs to that he needs to keep developing his receiving skills, his blocking skills. Uh, but I do see a team looking at him and just saying, "I can't pass up a 240 pound running back who can get downhill." And and that's what you've seen, like with Tennessee, with uh, with Derrick Henry. You're listening to the Pot of Gold Extra Point presented by Zaxby's. True crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content. The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or the murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello, plus better-known cases like the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher. Talking Notre Dame, talking Boston College, we spent a little time on A.J. Dillon on the Boston College offense. What makes Max Richardson so good? Oh, he's... <laughs> Where do you he's, start, he's right? He's a different cat. <laughs> I love he's a different kind of guy. He is a... Uh, it, oh, he's probably my favorite interview. He is, um, <laughs> he is a... He is wired differently. When he steps on the field, those wires just get lined up and he turns into a different kind of human being. He is smart is intense um when when something doesn't go well he he tends to he doesn't yell and scream he's not the kind of guy who's going to walk off the field and and crush a a water 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 balloon a water uh water cooler um he's not the kind of guy who's going to throw something on the sideline but he's gonna he's gonna walk off he's gonna look you in the eye and he's gonna say like you're you're right i'm angry and and that's never going to happen again and you're gonna be like all right well the next game he's gonna have seventy three thousand tackles on the field because he's gonna be everywhere um, he is, he is just fast. He, he closes to the ball. He, he closes to the defender. 
He can get out in coverage. He is that kind of linebacker that you might not have heard of if you don't if you haven't watched Boston College. But he is he is just everywhere, and he is. He came in. He was the guy this year that they said, "Look, you're one of the few returnees on this defense. You've got to step to the next level." And he's done that. I mean, he he is everywhere. He knows how to get penetration behind the line, and and he knows how to catch a guy downfield. So he's uh he's a guy to keep an eye out for on the uh, on the defense for sure. And and I think Notre Dame fans will have an appreciation for him at the end of the game, even if they don't love him. Okay, all that stuff aside, what makes him a go-to guy? for a media member like why is he your best interview oh so kansas game not a great not a great album <laughs> they, uh, i think we can all agree kansas game did yeah. not go the way everyone yeah, wanted it. yeah no uh, they lose that game bad and the defense did not play well in that game at all especially in the second half on so i believe the next week they were heading to rutgers and on that tuesday you get the scrum with, with with a couple of different guys after practice, and you know you get Anthony Brown or AJ Dillon, and Max Richardson walks in, and he sits there, and you're like, all right, well, defense didn't play well, Max, and he just looked right at the camera, and I cannot repeat, I don't know if I can repeat the word he used, <laughs> uh, probably he, not, <laughs> and he was just like, you know, we're bleeped off, and and you're like, okay, and he goes, you're you're darn right, we're 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 bleeped off at this game, and and he was. And we we're like, okay. And then he went out the next game and 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 destroyed everybody for he Rutgers. Played, and, and it happened. Oh, he was yep. he played angry. And in that Rutgers game too, I think he led the team in tackles, had like ten tackles. He was and you're like, okay. And uh, you know, when they beginning a training camp, I had a conversation with him at Media Day, and I was like, I know you've only been in shells, and he was like, and I just said, Do you, are you excited just to put the pads back on? And he just looked right at me. And it was one of those. He looked me in the face, and I think I'm ten years older than him. And he just said. Yes. And I just looked at him like, oh, okay. All right. Next <laughs> okay, question. we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> well, well, Dan, when I think of Boston College and their former greats, at least in recent history, I think of Luke Keekley, Matt Ryan. Uh, who was your kind of Mount Rushmore of Boston College football players history? Uh well, if, if we're not looking at one position, I'm going to start. I mean, the, the obvious one to start with is Doug Flutie, but I'm going to go yeah. a different place because uh, of the emotional connection with Mark Herzlick, uh, mm-hmm. who is a linebacker who who would have been a top 10 pick, decided to come back to Boston College for his senior year, got diagnosed with cancer, missed the season, and then came back. And, when, and, and I'll never forget that game. I know... Everyone says, well, who, why would the FCS Weber State game be the most important game you've ever seen or best game you've ever seen? I was like, it, it is because Mark Herzlick came back and came running out of the tunnel. And his story, which let, finished with him walking uh, into a Super Bowl with the New York Giants, although at the expense of my beloved New England Patriots, <laughs> made, a, uh, made a, a fantastic story. So I start with him, and then you get to Doug Flutie, who is, who is the greatest player who ever played for Boston College, hands down. Um, you know, the Heisman Trophy, the, the 1984 game, Miracle in Miami. Uh, funny thing about Flutie is the week after the Miami game, he was playing at Holy Cross out in Worcester, Massachusetts. It's about maybe a 40-minute ride outside of Boston. Smaller stadium, only sat, I think, about 20,000 people. But it's on a highway. And people were parked on the highway trying to watch Doug Flutie because that night he was flying to New York in a helicopter, which landed at Holy Cross to take him to New York for the Heisman ceremony. 
And it was one of those huge rivalry games, and it was an overflow, people parking on the highway to watch him play. So I think he's he's the greatest player that ever lived and for Boston College, and, and he's he's number one in terms of players. I, I start with Herzlick for the obvious for the obvious reason off the field, even though he was a a, a, a wonderful player on the field and, and one of the best that ever played for BC. Um, if you're looking at third type of player, you're looking at Matt Ryan, who took BC to a number two overall ranking, um, had them in the hunt for the national championship game and an ACC championship in 2007. It was probably one of the most electric years because given how college football has changed and how it's so public now when you when you talk about Matt Ryan and the fact he went and saved the Atlanta Falcons after everything that was there with the number three overall pick, um, with everything that happened down there with Michael Vick, it was a uh, for him to 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 lead that team NFL MVP and take him to a Super Bowl. It made for a great story. Although on the other side of that, the way that Super Bowl ended, great for me as a Patriots fan. Twenty eight to three. Great for me as a twenty eight to three. Not great for me as a as a uh, as someone rooting for Matt Ryan in that game. Yeah. Um, but then at number four, I mean, you if you're looking at a Mount Rushmore, you've got a whole host of candidates there. You've got guys like Bill Romanowski who played at BC, Mark Chamora played at BC. Uh, you're looking at uh, Pete Mitchell's a tight end name that a lot of people don't know. That's about. a guy I was going to throw out. Pete, yeah, he Pete, was, that goes he, back to my days first covering yeah. Notre Dame in '93. He was one of the like he was a go-to guy. I remember doing a story on Pete Mitchell. I'm like, man, this guy's a, one of the best quotes. So I had I would have like Pete Mitchell and then Tom McManus. How about that name? Yep, Tom McManus is go. another one. That was the next one I was coming with. <laughs> Mike really? Mamula. Yeah, Tom McManus, Mike Mamula, defensive lineman. Yep. Um, I mean, you've got a whole host of guys you can put up there. Glenn Foley, who was the quarterback in 93, was just an angry man uh, on the field. And boy, did I love watching him play. He was he was something. And then A.J. Dillon. You've got A.J. Dillon in there, too. I mean, he's the all-time leading rusher at a time when, when everyone's changing and, and, and throwing the footballs 55 times a game. I mean, that's that's the, for him to accomplish what he's done is, is, is worth discussion especially the other running backs. I mean, if you're going to put Derek Knight on that list as a running back, you've got to talk about A.J. Dillon. So it's kind of ironic that he's he's still going, and he's probably in that discussion, and that's not even including some of the other guys. I mean, there's been a lot of very, very good players through the years. And, and discussing Notre Dame-Boston College, you can't get past any of that without mentioning David Gordon, right? <laughs> Never kicked can't. a 40-yard field goal in his entire life before that one, I don't think. <laughs> it's the quietest I've ever heard. I know it was it was old time, but that's a, that's the quietest I've ever heard. Notre Dame Stadium was when that, when that ball went through the uprights. I was I was in the car at like the shopping center of a mall when that <laughs> happened. That as a young like listening to it on the radio because the TV had, had had kicked out or something. Or I just remember, and then I remember like we had it videotaped on VHS. So I got a VHS tape of that game somewhere. It was uh oh that was. That's the that's that's where it all started for me. They win that game, and my Boston College fandom was off and running. All right, Dan. So I'm going to give you a scenario here. All right, Carter and his scenarios—they're they're a little out of left field, but let's see where this one's going. This one isn't too crazy, but <laughs> just given the nature of how run heavy Boston College is, and uh, you know having having a backup quarterback in there, it's let's say it's 31-17 Notre Dame you know, midway through the fourth quarter and you're probably not going to have to, you're not, you're probably not going to be able to run at every play. I mean, who, who are their go-to receivers? Who, what will they kind of go to when, you know, in this game they, they might be trailing some and they're going to have to be throwing it. 
Uh, well, they're gonna you're gonna want to look for uh, for anybody who's a tight end. Um, they've got they've got a few tight ends who are who are really good. And Hunter Long's been injured, uh, so I don't know if he's gonna play or if he how effective he's gonna be. If he does, he's been he's been out and and don't really have a, a full update on him. I know that he's listed as as on the depth chart and and see if he can go uh, on Saturday. Uh, but if he can't, uh, Jake Burt is a, is a downfield kind of receiver. He averages 15 yards a catch. There's a guy, uh, Korab uh, Adrizi, I think is actually out. I, I don't remember if he was going to play or not. Um, cause he's been, he's been out the last couple games. Um, but Burt's going to be one of the guys to really watch for the tight end position. And from a, from a wide receiver spot, if you're really excited, uh, to watch a, a receiver who's got dynamic dynamicism, uh, in his game, Zay Flowers is going to be a, a guy to watch. He's short. He's fast. He beginning of the year, he re, was really getting downfield, forced teams to take a look at him. Uh, he's he's capable of, of really breaking one. He's he's a special kind of receiver. And on the opposite side of him, Kobe White has been the bread and butter of BC's passing game. However, uh, you know that sounds because I know the the passing stats haven't been you know the like I said the 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 tops in the, the nation. Um, he's, he's going to be a guy to watch there. And there's a third guy who's been playing now that we're down the end of the year. His name is Ethan Williams. He's a freshman. I imagine he's going to redshirt because he, he didn't play in the early part of the game. And so early part of the season. And he, I think he debuted against Florida state. So if you're looking at the four game rule, he's a really interesting, intriguing prospect. Cause he's six feet tall. He can get open. He was getting open against Florida state. And even though he didn't play a, a ton, he was in the game down the stretch and Grossell was hitting him on like in cuts and check downs. And it was really intriguing to see him step on the field. So there are three, four receivers that Grossell is going to look for. Um, nobody's going to jump off the the charts as having a ton of statistics, like one receiver, like, like Chase Claypool is. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you can't use, use some uh, instinct and some play calls and try to spot them and get them open. All right, Dan. Big picture question, maybe the biggest picture question. Has the Atlantic Coast Conference been good for Boston College? Um, well, I would say yes, because uh, everything that's happened with the Big East, um, which is that it's gone. Uh, you know, there's look, I, I, I go back with to the start of the Big East when the Big East came about as a, as a football conference, and I can readily admit that those years in the 90s were some of the best and most exciting when when Miami was good, when West Virginia was good, when Syracuse was good, uh, was very good, uh, Virginia Tech in, in, into the 2000s. The, the football that was played in that Big East was some of the best football I have ever seen at, in any era. It was competitive. It was tough. The teams had great com uh, camaraderie and competition. And it's unfortunate that, you know, college football had to change. Now that said, college football changed. College football was not meant to stay um, regional like that. And, and I, and it was becoming more popular. It was becoming more national. And the ACC was the first league to try and, and move forward. So transferring into and realigning into the ACC was the right move because from, if you'd stayed and you'd tried to, to make something work, I think in the long run, it you might not have even gotten in to the ACC, depending on, on what they were looking for in programs at any given time. So you had a lot of foresight to see where things were going when you when you left um, and, and changed leagues. That said, 
BC has had its share of success across the ACC. Uh, I know that the that everybody wants conference championships, and 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 people at BC want conference championships and national championships, and to play at that high level, they've had it. They're working to get back to that level. When you think of the 2000s, you think of how they arrived in the league. They're working to get back to it. Last year, they were incredibly competitive. Seven and two going into the last three weeks of the season, ranked 17th in the country, hosting college game day against Clemson, a game that BC was winning when Anthony Brown got hurt, ironically enough, in that game. They were competitive at the highest level as recently as last year. They're still competitive at the highest level when you think of competing with these teams. They just need to, to get over the hump. I think they can. I think they will in many ways in many different sports. They are. Uh, field hockey, as an example, is playing in the Final Four this weekend. Women's soccer has been competitive. Men's soccer is in the national tournament. Um, women's basketball is working to get back to that level. Had a struggle last year. Men's basketball was in the NIT a couple of years ago. Baseball went to a super regional a couple of years ago. So the, comp- the competition level is there. That said, when you're aligned into a division in the Atlantic Division with Florida State at a time when Florida State was winning national championships and now Clemson at a time when Clemson is winning national championships, it makes it very hard to get over that hump um, because those teams are on such a different plane and such a different elite level. I still think Boston College has a lot to prove this year. I still think Boston College is going to be very good this year um, in some capacity. I know we're getting down the stretch here, and I know there's only a couple of games left. Um, I think that this team still has something left in it, and I'm really excited to see where, where things are going in the future because this program from the inside is building back to what they believe they should be as an entire department. And in that regard, being a part of the ACC is definitely the gateway to, to also get into that. I'm fascinated by kind of the media scene out there in Boston just because we've mentioned, yeah, there's there's quite a few great teams, great players that have come through Boston College, but how do you compete with the Red Sox and the Patriots and the Celtics? You, and the Bruins. <laughs> the Bruins. How do, how do you see Boston College kind of treat that dynamic? Are they – you see them kind of marketing themselves a little bit more to try to – try to kind of present themselves as, Hey, we're the college team in Massachusetts and uh, this, this region, like how would you kind of describe that dynamic? Well, the, the irony of it all is that you're also in uh, a city where you have seven different colleges that you compete with academically around the, mm-hmm. around the corner. And, and in, and in some cases in hockey, three different schools that are within a few miles of you uh, in, in hockey East. Um, I don't think that, BC is necessarily trying to compete against those those elements. I, I think I think it's also in a pro sports city like Boston. Um, it's not a place where you want to try to do that because you're you're not going to ever be more popular than the Boston Red Sox or the New England Patriots, especially while uh, you know there's a there's a certain quarterback in town uh, winning Super Bowls. I just don't see that as a as a realistic expectation. That said, when you get your opportunity. Like last year, when College Game Day came to town, you can turn Boston into a into a, a college sports city because Bostonians love to win. Bostonians love to compete. I, I think that's probably why most people um, don't don't love our sports fans so much because we love winning out here, um, and we do a lot of it with, with these teams. But when you get the chance to compete at that level and you get to hosting ESPN College Game Day last year. Um, 
it can turn Boston into a college sports town. It was Boston's turn. It was Boston College's turn, rather, last year in that rotation for something different. Um, it, it definitely created a buzz. You got to build back to get to that level. You're, you're still drawing very well. I, I know that the numbers uh, compared to what Notre Dame might draw with 70,000 people when you're talking about 35 or 39,000 people. I mean, that number doesn't compete or, or doesn't uh, match up, but you're also in a, a much different atmosphere in Boston than you are in South Bend. And I think being able to, com- to compete with those teams as part of the culture is a lot more important than competing against it for eyeballs because you have, you're the only power conference team in the Northeast besides Syracuse, who's your chief rival, and a lot of Syracuse alums are in town, creates for a nice atmosphere when, when they come in, um, and Rutgers in New Jersey, where you're recruiting outside, you're out recruiting Rutgers as it is for some of those guys from the New Jersey Catholic school circuit. So I, I, I come back to the statement of you don't compete against, you compete with. They've done a good job of fostering relationships, the bean pot for baseball, is played at Fenway occasionally. Uh, BC has played UMass in football games at Gillette Stadium. Uh, the Bean Pot for hockey is is very famously played at TD Garden. Hockey East has played at TD Garden. Um, so there are opportunities to. They played Notre Dame at Fenway Park. Uh, have played UConn at Fenway Park, and we're getting a bowl game uh, in the ACC at Fenway Park in the next couple of years. So you're trying to develop part of that culture. You're not necessarily trying to compete against it how long did it take people out of boston college to realize how big of a notre dame football fan jerry york is (laughs) how about that one i didn't know that i actually did not know that (laughs) dan let's so oh he like he's he he used to before he's before he coached at at boston college hockey hall of fame type of coach he obviously coached at Bowling Green. Bowling Green would play Notre Dame in hockey. And every time I'd go interview Jerry York after a hockey game, we'd talk about the power play, we'd talk about the penalty kill, this, that. And then he'd always have like four questions for me. Hey, what, what do you think about Notre Dame football? What do you think about this quarterback? What do you think about that? What do you, and, and I'd be like, this guy, like he, he knows his stuff out there. He, we would. I never knew that, but now I'm going to have to give him a little bit for that. because <laughs> And he'll take it well. because I. Oh, mean, yeah. He's the nicest guy on the planet. He just got and he just got into the hockey Hall of Fame right. this week. So, uh, you know, I, I I love Jerry, but I'm gonna have to give him a little bit for that. Can't have that happen. <laughs> He's a good guy, though. Good man. He's great. He's awesome. So, Dan, uh, I had you on this Q and A earlier this week on Indie Insider, and you predicted a, a close one. Uh, are you sticking with that prediction? And and uh, why don't you you tell the world what? Uh, your score prediction or the podcast or the podcast. (laughs) So I am, and I'm sticking with it because, uh, for a number of reasons of which, uh, of which maybe can't be quantified on a stat sheet. Um, weird stuff happens in rivalry games. Weird stuff happens if you're not careful in rivalry games too. Um, BC knows that they only need one more win to get to a bowl game. Um, they know that, the bowl getting to a bowl game um, is almost more important in the modern era because of the amount of teams that go. So even though it's easier for teams to go, you can't miss it because you, you miss out on the practices that 70 odd teams get. So you need to, to win that sixth game. Plus you're playing out there and this is the only shot that these players 
likely will get uh, maybe in their careers to play at Notre Dame. So when you have that factored in, the fact that it hasn't been for a while, they don't play annually, this game becomes buckled down because there is everybody who has ever put on the Boston College uniform and has played against Notre Dame knows what it means to play in that stadium against that team and knows that if you can win that game, it becomes it's they can never take that away from you ever in Boston College history. So that said, there is that extra driving force against a team that I think people might be overlooking. So, yes, there are problems with the defense this year. The defense has given up um, a ton of yards at times. They gave up almost 700 yards to Clemson, easily chalked up to the fact that it's Clemson. Had a tough game, though, against Louisville. Had that tough game against uh, had that tough game against Kansas. Uh, Wake Forest has piled up yards. But I think that with a bye week and a chance to, to get a little bit healthier than they were for the Florida State game when they were missing three or four players uh, that they had against Syracuse, this is still a team that has, like I've been saying, something left in it. And I think when you work with how they've worked in fundamentals, they've had two weeks to get ready. They've gotten healthier. The offense has been clicking. I think that this is a team that you just don't want to sleep on. And if you're, if you're Notre Dame, I don't think you're sleeping on any opponent because there's obviously the New York's the New Year's six games still in play for the Irish. Uh, but at the Man. same time, <laughs> ain't happening. We're going to the camping world bowl. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think it's still in play a little, uh, Hey, the ACC with the orange bowl. I don't know how that's going to work. Right. So, uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I think there's still a game somewhere in there in play. The, the citrus bowl is still in play, depending on how the ACC bowl structure shakes, shakes down. If there's a big 10 team that they can absorb the, the bowl from the the camping world bowl is, I mean, there's still stuff left to play for. If you're a Notre Dame fan, if you're a Notre Dame player, if you're a Notre Dame coach, but you can't look past this to the Stanford game and you can't just take these games for granted. So I'm not saying they are, but at the same time, I mean, Boston college is, is coming in and can play devil may care football. Um, and then potentially work its way up to a seven-win season if they can get through this. And and I know based off of the way that I've looked at this game and the way that I've heard everyone talking about this game, there is everything poured into, every effort poured into singular focus on Notre Dame. So that's why I think they can keep it close. I don't want to predict a win because I think that's disrespectful to the number 15 team in the country with an 8-2 and two record. Uh, I, I don't think that would that would behoove anybody, but I think BC can keep this closer than then maybe uh, the maybe <laughs> the maybe people might want to believe or, or maybe people do believe. That's Dan Rubin from BCEagles.com. Dan, really appreciate the time. You vaulted to the top of our podcast guest list. That's some great stuff you had for us. Hey, guys, I love talking this game. So anytime <laughs> I can do it, I, I will rant and ramble until I'm blue in the face. Next time Notre Dame-Boston College meet up, we're bringing you back. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, my man. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, guys. All right, Dan Rubin is not picking a prediction. He does not have a prediction. He will not pick pick Boston College to win. Are you going upset two weeks in a row? Huh? No, I learned my lesson. <laughs> I learned my lesson. You learned it quickly, too. Uh, I tried to make fun of myself as much as possible. <laughs> May, maybe that will lighten all the people making fun of me. But Who's look, making fun of you? People I, you on know, Twitter? The, the Social tweeters, media? The tweeters. Ah, I mean, look, I, I had Navy winning that game. I, I thought... I, I think just talking with other media members, a lot of people predicted a close game at least. Yeah, I didn't. So, no, I don't think. 
there's nobody, maybe outside of a Notre Dame fan, the fan base, that, that would have predicted what Notre Dame did to Navy and did it early and often last Saturday to the point where it was basically a scrimmage in the second half. Like, nobody saw that coming because, like you said, two ranked teams, Navy often gives Notre Dame fits. You still, there's still, for as well as Notre Dame has played since that debacle at Michigan, there's still that part of you that, that thinks, like, it does, is the Michigan thing going to happen again? It yeah. Might, like tomorrow, it may happen against Boston College. It may happen next week out in California against Stanford. You, you, you just can't put all of your trust into this football team given the fact that they had everything to play for in Michigan, and, and that was the end result. Like, is that still lurking somewhere? You don't know. Yeah. Well, I think the good sign is that they've gotten better every week since because Virginia Tech was a little shaky. Duke, they did Piece what they cake. expected they do. Yeah. Navy, they did what they weren't expected to do. Right. So they've taken a step every week. And I think the plan for Boston College is basically mirror what they did against Navy because when you get a good lead on the on a team like that, it, it, it throws them all out of sorts because they run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Yeah. You force them to pass more than they're comfortable with and, and they're going to be completely out of their element. So... Um, hard to ask for a better start. That, that was probably the best start Notre Dame has had in many, many, many games that they had against Navy going up 45-3 to in the third. So um, hard to expect that, but um, they're favored by 20 points in this game just about uh, all week, and uh, so um, I'm expecting a, a sizable win this time. And But senior day is always a little squirrely. Like last year, it didn't matter yeah. because Florida State they didn't want to be here, be here uh, up here in the cold. They were at done. Night. They were done. They had other issues. Obviously, we've seen that They'd come to the surface with Willie Taggart being fired midway through the season this year. So Florida State was not that big of a, a senior day challenge. This will be because Notre Dame. You never, you just never know. They're feeling good about the th- last three weeks that they've won. Virginia Tech, Duke, Navy, Boston College comes to town. Always feeling like you know they're they're disrespected in some ways. That everybody looks at Notre Dame. Nobody looks at Boston College. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how this game's going to go. I don't. Well, I want to ask you this because what are you going to ask? It me? almost seems like just kind of goofy. <laughs> it feels like Notre Dame has like fifteen rivals. Some half of which they don't even play every year. Like I just does that seem weird to claim that you have so many rivals? No, maybe it's not Notre Dame claiming that. Maybe it's these yeah, other it's teams. It's not. It's not Notre Dame. I think the rivalry list at Notre Dame is really two: USC uh, out in front of the entire field by a yes. wide margin, and then maybe Navy, and then that's it. Like Michigan, kind of Michigan. Yeah, yeah. yeah but they know if, if Michigan was a true rival, rival, and they they really valued what that series meant they would find a way to make that happen yeah. every year. Like USC, there's one non-starter. There's right. two non-starters, actually three on the schedule every year. Uh-huh. Is We're keeping USC because it's USC. We're keeping Navy because it's Navy. And we're also keeping Stanford because that allows us still to get to California at the end of every season. Those are the three games that are in cement. Michigan's never been in cement. No. So I, I think a lot of people want to like, – like Boston College – Boston College fans will be here uh, in South Bend on uh, this weekend and be like, "Yeah, they're Notre Dame. Oh, they're our rival." Yeah. Notre Dame fans will just be like, "Yeah, yeah." The, the true, Boston College. The true hate the the true mark of a rivalry to me is 
your second favorite team being whoever's playing mm-hmm. that team. You want to hate them so badly. And when you're not in a conference or when a school is thousand miles away, it's hard to truly care about that team. So yeah, I would say USC for sure. Michigan just because the proximity yeah. and they they recruit a lot of the same players. I think that's still there. Um, and I think when you have a coach like Jim Harbaugh, uh, a guy like that can be so hateable to Notre Dame fans. So I, I think I think if they're they would be a third, you know, um, but a distant but third. It, it's it is kind of goofy to me because um, I mean, is Stanford a rival? Like, are they going to be saying that Notre Dame's their rival? I just think it's kind of goofy. It's kind of there, but they're kind of not. No. <laughs> I don't. I don't see many Notre Dame fans worrying about what Stanford's doing. No. Whereas it's like USC. All the Notre, the Notre Dame fans are. Is, is Urban Meyer going to go coach at right. Southern California? What's What's going to happen with the football program? This that people aren't worried about Stanford. No, they're not worried about Boston College. Not are you worried, worried about Boston College? No, I, I think this will be a. Um, let's get out of here with some predictions. Prediction? Yeah, let's go. Okay, let's do it. All right, so this will be what. I'm gonna An go easy game. I think it'll be a pretty easy game. Maybe there's a couple hiccups every there. No Notre Dame game has been perfect, other than the Navy game. I'm gonna go 41. Other than the Navy first half, because yeah. after that they put it on cruise control. Right, Phil Dracovic, go play quarterback. Yeah, I'm gonna say 41 to 16. Wow, a lot of points by Notre Dame. Boston College's defense has not been good all year. They gave up 40, 48 to Kansas. I mean Kansas. Are you kidding me? Um, and so. Uh, Florida State put up points on them. Uh, Wake Forest put a bunch of yards on them. So uh, pretty much every team that they've faced this year have put up a ton of yards, tons of points. Notre Dame has been rolling these past few weeks. Uh, it'll surprise many, but they're one of the top colleges, college football teams in terms of scoring offense. And so they're going to put up a lot of points, I think, in this one. Notre Dame will. Yeah. For, what's, 40 what? 41-16. All right. 38-13 Irish. They get it done quickly, get it done early, get a lot of guys in on senior day, and then start looking at what's going to happen next week out in Northern California. What else you get? It, it, since it's senior night, I thought it would be or senior day, I guess. Yeah, Last year was senior night. Uh, senior night. This is senior day. Senior day. Senior afternoon. Um, I want I – would, I would, let's – commemorate one senior that will be recognized who who do you think had a meaningful impactful interesting crazy notre dame career among the seniors besides a guy like trevor ruland well that's certainly an option is that the guy is that the guy you're gonna go with i'm asking you chase claypool who's been my guy all year yeah my breakout guy like everyone was like how can he be a breakout guy well he was pretty good his first three years i think he's really good right now so I think Chase Claypool, just how how far he's come in learning to be what it takes to be a quality wide receiver at the college level, different routes, different deciphering different defenses, staying steady, coming from British Columbia, who and this is who I'm writing about for my Saturday column, who knew nothing about Notre Dame, knew nothing about Northern Indiana, to take a flyer on that the way he did and say, you know what? I'm going to go like 2,000 miles away from home and go to college. And now he's an NFL prospect. That's a pretty yeah. good story right there. The, the three seniors that have come the farthest, I think, Chase Claypool, Chris Fink, Trevor Ruin. Yeah, it's hard to say Chris Fink because he's a fifth-year guy. 
You know, like like he's a senior, he was a senior last year. He had, they did the senior day last year, and then oh, he's back for. That's kind of I just find that kind of weird how they do they always do that like yeah. like Dalen Hayes isn't doing senior day stuff tomorrow well I think he it's already weird. knows he's coming back I think it's weird that they call true juniors seniors right. or redshirt juniors right. seniors I think the whole thing is because no other school really does that. they don't nobody um, does that but but with Trevor Rulin I mean the the injuries are just endless he yeah. tore both pecs uh, he tore his labrum broken nose broken elbow broken ankle, three surgeries in his left knee. Uh, Eric Hansen wrote, wrote a great story about this. Uh, he, he thought about, hey, maybe coaching might be my future since everything kind of went awry. But he, he, he was approached by the medical staff before the season saying, hey, man, I, I don't know if you can do this because this might not be safe. You don't really – he has the eight, He has the left knee of an 80-year-old is what he was told. That's and, never good when he's that, that young. No, and uh, and I mean, I have the left shoulder of an 80-year-old, but I'm not playing football. And so for Trevor Rulin to do this, put his body on the line week after week, filling in uh, after Tommy Kramer went down, really impressive. Um, and, and so, yeah, him, Claypool, Fink, uh, I, I think uh, a, lot of, a lot of meeting behind this senior day. How about some breaking news before we get out of here? Uh-oh. Just got an email from Notre Dame men's basketball that Notre Dame and Marquette – will renew its rivalry in the 2022-2023 season. They'll play one year in, let's see, they'll play in Milwaukee at, basically at five-serve form for the 2022-2023 season, and then the Golden Eagles will come back to Notre Dame for the 2023-24 season. So that's a rivalry that behind DePaul, UCLA, Notre Dame, the old-time Notre Dame fans want back on the schedule. It's a natural. Bill Scholl is the athletic director at Marquette. He used to work as an assistant AD at Notre Dame. His son works in the football media relations department mm-hmm. at Notre Dame. So Marquette, Notre Dame, coming back on the schedule for men's basketball. Got to wait a couple more years. Yeah. But good to see Marquette back on Notre Dame men's schedule. So let me throw that basketball yeah. knowledge in there for you. More of a rivalry than Toledo, right? <sighs> is Toledo a rivalry, really? <laughs> you just have to go there, don't you? You have to bring up Toledo. That game last night. That game was ridiculous. It was on heroin <laughs> okay. or, or meth. All I mean, right. it was it was that crazy. It uh, was beyond crazy. Yeah. And for people to be all excited that they they went on a last second shot, they had Notre Dame. Notre Dame had no business winning that game. <laughs> None. Not even like a, there were seven like seven or eight different reasons why they shouldn't have won that game, and they wind up winning that game. So hopefully that kickstarts them. But if you play that way against the the size and the length and the athleticism of a Toledo, yeah, which is a good team, like they're picked to win the MAC West Division. But at the end of the day, that's still the MAC. Like people Correct. are saying, wow, well, you know, Toledo, yeah, Toledo's picked to win the MAC, but MAC ACC, MAC ACC. It's not an ACC school. If you struggle against the size and the length and the athleticism of Toledo, what are you going to do in the ACC? So right. there, there might be some long nights ahead for Mike Bray and his bunch if they still can't consistently make a shot. You, you made a good point in, in your postgame story. It's kind of like – Which was filed at the, 2 a.m., by the way. Wow. Well, the, these last three games, these close wins for Notre Dame, it's like – Maybe they lose one, two, or all mm-hmm. three of these last year. So they have taken some strides, but still at the end of the day, this is Toledo. This is 
the Presbyterian Blue Hole Blue Hose, however you say their name. And the Marshall Thundering Herd. Yeah. I you mean know, those are teams that aren't really gonna move the meter. Yeah. Uh, they're five and one. They get fairly Dickinson on Tuesday, and then the real stuff starts next month because then they have to go to Maryland, a top 10 team. They come home to Boston College for their ACC home opener, <laughs> and then it's league play right around the corner. So we'll see what happens. But I'm not very overly optimistic. Like yeah. I'm, I'm a hoops guy, but watching what I saw last night, <laughs> I was like, that John Mooney uh, charging calls. Well, it wasn't. See, that's the, that's the problem. It wasn't a John Mooney charge. They called. Oh, it wasn't. You mean when when John Mooney fell down on the ground and they called the foul on John Mooney? They called the foul on T.J. Gibbs for pushing the oh. Toledo defender into John Mooney. Like he was trying to work. He was trying to work the Toledo defender off a of John Mooney screen. He wow. pushed him into Mooney. Mooney falls down. It's a ter- It was a terrible call. But and I was saying on Twitter last night, like everybody got so worked up over that call, you still have to go and win the game. Like, oh yeah, they, they, Mike Bray should have been thrown out. I think he tried to get thrown out <laughs> after that happened. The Irish lost their cool. They're down seven with fifty eight seconds to play. They're down five with like twenty nine seconds to play. Still, they find a way to win. That's a positive. But to have to scratch and claw and fight against yeah. Toledo might be a long winner here in South Bend. Yep. So. Well, still three more games left for college football, and uh, Notre Dame should be favored by twenty plus in these final two. Right? Well, so again, funky stuff. Man, funky stuff happens on Senior Day. Funky stuff happens when they go out to Northern California. I don't know what they've lost. True, like, five in a row out in Stanford. We'll talk Stanford next week, though. We will. Yeah, we're done. We'll have an earlier podcast next week with Thanksgiving. Yes, Monday maybe. Monday, Monday. Tuesday. Yeah, might be a little short one. Yeah. All right, we'll wrap this up. The Pot of Gold Extra Point, Notre Dame and Boston College, is brought to you by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. And brought to you by Tire Rack, the way tire buying should be.